In just a few minutes a day with a few great questions, you can start your day from a greater place of clarity and peace. And isn't that what we all need right now? Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britt Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Columbia law professor and mediation expert, Alexandra Carter. She is a negotiation trainer for the UN and several Fortune 500 companies, and her new book, Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything, breaks down how to ask for exactly what you want and get it. So whether it's a promotion, a raise, or a relationship conflict, she's going to teach us all the art of negotiation. Okay, negotiation. And do you consider yourself a good or bad negotiator? I mean, I'll admit I haven't considered myself (laughs) in terms of negotiation, (laughs) but I think I'm a really good negotiator because I like persuading people, but like trying to get them on my side covertly. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this episode ahead of time, and I've known you now for a decade And we've negotiated a lot in our decade of business and life (laughs) together. And I think think you have some smart tactics. I don't know the tactics yet, but I'm presuming one of the (laughs) tactics is you sort of talk to other people first and get everyone on the same page. And then you come to the person you're negotiating with with like, I just have an idea. And then everyone else happens to also like that idea already. And so it's done. It's so true. Is this one of your skills? Well, I think that's one of my moves. I also like to disarm. So I'm like, you know, I was just thinking about this thing. And then I have it like totally dialed up. (laughs) Where do you use your negotiation skills the most in your current life? I mean, definitely in work, right? As the CEO of a company, as an investor, I'm negotiating price a lot with people. On the investing side, I'm negotiating tasks, I feel like, on the CEO side, um, but then like, yeah, the fam, my family, I don't know. What about you? I feel like I negotiate with my three and a half year old the most out of anyone I negotiate with. Yeah. Like every I mean, day try, and they're really good at it. I try to do it like in a more productive learning way. Right. And not like totally take the bait. But I mean, we're negotiating. We're learning together. <laughs> I feel like I win more negotiations in my work life and I lose most of my negotiations in my personal life. I don't know if this is a thing, but that's why we're so excited to welcome our favorite negotiation expert, Alexandra Carter, who is here to teach us how to negotiate for what we really want. Welcome, Alex. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to dive in. I think negotiation is one of those things that um, really hits people's insecurities and their biggest fears 
asking for what you want is already a hard thing, not to mention negotiating the thing you want if someone comes back at you. So um, I'm really excited to chat with you and learn so that we can all get what we want. So why don't we start with this? Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did your passion for negotiation come from? And what is it like being a negotiation trainer for the UN? Thanks. So I actually got into negotiation sort of backward. I started as a mediator. So I started with the art of bringing people together in conflict. I'm trained as a lawyer. And from there, I learned how to sit down with people who are in maybe really big legal disputes or diplomatic disputes between countries and help them negotiate better with each other. But, you know, like a lot of people... I bought this lie that I was great at helping other people negotiate or maybe even negotiating on behalf of somebody else, right? Like if your three and a half year old needs something or, you know, if you're helping a colleague, if you're negotiating on behalf of your department, you're amazing, but you struggle to turn those skills on yourself. That was me as a younger professional woman. And so one day I had an experience where I learned on the advice of a senior colleague that it was really important to negotiate for myself. And so from that moment, I decided to bring all of the expertise I had as a mediator and use it for myself as a negotiator and teach other people how to do it too. Oh, that sounds amazing. I think as women, we often always... Uh, need those skills. They're like a lot more practical because it's much harder for a woman to negotiate with a man in many instances. I know I'm stereotyping, but you know, why is that? Have you learned the gender roles in negotiation? I sure have. There is still this tightrope out there. It's unfair that women walk between on the one side being too nice, you know, being a nice girl and a team player who's not a leader And on the other side, being too aggressive, right? Or a couple of other words I could use. And so a lot of times women not knowing how to navigate that will err on the side of being too nice. The other thing I found was that women held themselves back because they were afraid of hearing a no. As though if they heard a no, it would be like a referendum on their worth as a human being. Guys, a lot of times, will see no as an opening offer, right? A jumping off point for further negotiations. Women see it as something's wrong with me or what I'm offering isn't worthy. And I think the last thing is that women sometimes worry that negotiating is going to ruin relationships. That somehow, you know, Britt, I think you said, like, I win a lot of my negotiations at work and I lose a lot of them in my personal life. We're going to dive deep into that, right? Uh Uh-oh. Thanks for the therapy in advance. (laughs) But I will say that a lot of women tell me that, that they struggle to raise concerns with the people they love most because they're worried somehow that that's going to make things worse. And I want you to know, couldn't be further from the truth. So going back to your book a little bit, you start out by redefining what negotiation really means. So tell us, what is your definition of negotiation? Sure. And this goes all the way back to my Hawaiian honeymoon with my husband in 2006. So do you know, up until this point, I had bought the lie. We see this everywhere, right? That negotiation is just haggling back and forth over money and that you do that really quickly to get to an agreement. You know, and over time, I started to think, God, that's kind of reactive and it doesn't seem very fun or creative, does it? It's almost as though the contract comes up, 
right? Or it's once a year, we have to go in for our evaluation. So we go in and advocate for a raise if we can work up the nerve. But then I got in this kayak, okay? On my honeymoon, I'm in this beautiful river and the guide looks back at us and says, please negotiate your kayaks to the left. We're headed for that beach. And that was the moment, right? And I see you, right? I don't know if folks can see you, but your eyes just popped. That's what happened to me on the Wailua River. I thought, that's right. There's more than one way to think about this. If I'm negotiating toward a gorgeous beach, what am I doing? I'm steering. And so from that moment on, I thought, what if I considered every conversation I had where I was steering a relationship to be a negotiation? That would mean I don't have to wait until once a year to teach my boss how to value me. I don't have to wait until I tell my clients my rates for them to understand who I am, what I do, and the value I'm going to bring. And it doesn't mean that I wait until a crisis with my husband to raise something. It means that I steer those relationships in every conversation I have. And so if you're out there listening to this and you think, I'm a little reserved, right? Or I'm somebody who values relationships. If you gain people's trust, if you're good at relationships, then you can be a great negotiator. It's also um, striking me that you are inherently a great salesperson. And, you know, a lot of the the people we talk to are like new entrepreneurs or people that want to sort of get themselves out there more. And so to your point, it's like the first step is always trust to create an offer that you want to give somebody. And in many ways, negotiation and sales are kind of the same thing, right? I would say sales is a form of negotiation. Sales is about steering a relationship for a particular purpose, right? To persuade somebody to use a product or a service that you have to offer. But I will say that the way I teach negotiation is fabulous for sales. And I have been training more sales forces than ever before during the pandemic on how putting the relationship first, the relationship creates the deal and not the other way around. But here's the other thing I want to say about sales. You know, I think a lot of times people think of sales as requesting somebody to uh, buy something, a product or service. I never request, I recruit. What I want to do is instead of saying to somebody, you know, spend $27 for my book or please hire me for X as a speaker, I tell them, here's the mission I'm on and I'm looking for partners. And so if you're willing to partner with me on my mission of using negotiation as a tool for equity and empowerment worldwide, then we can work together. And so what I try to do through steering relationships is put somebody on the same side of the table, showing them how they're going to benefit from working with me and vice versa. And that is the best way I know of steering those long-term relationships for mutual gain. Ooh, I like that. I like I'm now that. rethinking all of my cold pitch emails I've ever I sent. I know. Re- recruit is so much better. So I have a follow-up to the definition, because I think that, at least for me, when I think of negotiation, I think of almost starting from a place of conflict, or like you assume the person's going to say no, and you're about to convince them. 
Would you say that we need to like get rid of that and sort of start it as we're about to have a conversation? Yes. Okay. So you're right that negotiation is not just about the conflict. Negotiation actually doesn't start at all from the moment that you're talking to somebody else, whether it's over a conflict or whether it's a pleasant conversation. The first negotiation in any situation is the one you have with yourself. So it doesn't start, Britt, if you and I sit down together, it starts at home with you. And the biggest mistake I've seen people make, whether they are diplomats at the UN, they're Fortune 500 execs, or whether they're parents trying to get their kids off of Roblox, right, is that they are starting from the moment they sit down with someone else and they don't know the right way to steer that internal conversation so they have the clarity and the confidence they need when they do start that conversation. Oh, that's another thing to add to your self-care list, everybody out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, get a little bit of clarity on what you want, and then you can learn all of Alex's strategies to go negotiate for it. Um, And and speaking of which, bringing it back to women specifically, we do know that women struggle with asking for more, particularly when it comes to their career and salary. Um, First off, you know, why do you think that is? And second, what advice do you have for women who are too intimidated to ask for what they want? So why don't we ask for more? It's a combination of factors. I would say, especially around money, people have this idea that somehow if you ask for more, it's a selfish act, you know, that it leaves less for other people. And so I want to flip that and tell you a story. I want to tell you about, remember I said that moment that I realized I had to take my skills and use them on myself? It was when I negotiated my first salary. So I walked in, I'm in my power suit, and I'm super nervous because it turns out I'm in my 30s. During my 20s, I had all lockstep jobs where I didn't negotiate anything compensation-wise. So I go in, And the offer comes in better than what I expected. So I have just enough on the ball to keep my face neutral, say, thank you so much. I'll get back to you and walk out. I didn't know what to do. So I called a senior woman in my field and I said, here's the offer. Should I just take it? And she said, I'm going to tell you what to do, Alex. You're going to get back in there and you're going to ask for more. And I said, I'm going to ask for more. And she said, yes. Because when you teach someone how to value you, you teach him how to value all of us. So if you're not going to go in there and do it for yourself, I want you to do it for the woman coming after you. Do it for the sisterhood. And that brain-rocking moment was the moment I realized when I do this, it's not selfish. When I ask for more, it is actually an act of service. I am creating more seats around the table for the people who are coming after me. You know, and since that moment, I've been really passionate about going out to share that message with other women. So much of what we do, we do because we are mission motivated or we want to do good and service to other people. So if you are listening to this, I want you to know that the only reason you are getting value out of this conversation here today is that I stood up and asked for more and claimed my own expertise and wrote a book. And so somewhere out there, people are waiting for you to ask for more and create a path for them to follow. 
Oh, so good. I, I totally That's agree. Amazing. I know. I'm like, but I've also been on the flip side of that as, you know, a boss, you know, when, when people are asking for more and, and they might just say it really blankly, like, well, I think I should have more. And, and you're like, why? And so I think we're going to get into this next, but like, I think the way you ask for more is very important. Um, you don't just say like, actually, thank you for the salary, but I deserve 20% higher, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure you have some tips and tricks. So why don't we dive into that? You say the secret to being a good negotiator is asking the right questions. And you actually have 10 of them spelled out in your book. So I'd love for you to walk us through a few of them. Let's start with the first question people need to ask themselves in a negotiation. Sure. The first question you should be asking on any occasion, and this Brit would help the person. Let's take the person who's going in to ask you for a raise, okay? The first question that person should be asking is, what's the problem I want to solve? Is it merely that you need to bring in X amount of dollars more every month to support your family? Or is the problem that you've done research and you are undervalued compared to your role and expertise? I imagine, Britt, that that would hit differently, right? If the person had actually done it. Or maybe, Britt, I'm coming in to ask you for a raise because I want you to see how motivated I am and that I have leadership potential at this company. Because here's the other thing, folks. When you tactfully and collaboratively and skillfully negotiate for yourself, you are teaching your boss what kind of a negotiator you will be for her and the company. So maybe in the process of this, Britt, I'm trying to show you that I am destined for management. If that's the case, then I want to really be having that as a goal and think about if my goal is management, not only what am I going to ask Brit for, but how am I going to frame it in a way that's going to bring me closer to that goal? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So another question you want people to ask themselves before starting a negotiation is, what do I feel? So we're often told to keep our feelings out of negotiations, right? You come in there, you're like very clear cut. So why is this question so important? Oh, okay. So feelings are actually what I call the F word, because it's the thing that nobody wants to talk about, especially at work. And it's so true, Ange, that people have this idea that feelings get in the way of decision-making. The truth, feelings are how we make decisions. Do you know there's been neuroscience research to show they actually studied people whose brains were totally intact, except for the part on the right that processes feelings. Do you know what happened with those folks? They could talk through a potential decision all day long, but they could not make the decision. The truth is that considering your feelings does two things. The first is, is anybody here ever, you know, an anxious negotiator or you feel like your emotions get the best of you in the moment? 
If so, the quickest and best fix I have for you is to write those feelings down in advance. Writing them down actually is proven by research to help some of that emotion dissipate. Staring at it on the paper really helps. But the second thing is, do you know that feelings are data? And so when I'm counseling somebody, you know, I'm coaching an executive through an upcoming negotiation, you know, and she has trouble coming up with what she needs most. Do you know where I go? I ask her her feelings. And if she tells me her number one feeling is that she's stuck and, you know, she doesn't have advancement, that is our first clue. We turn it around. Any negative feelings you have about a situation, if you feel disrespected, now you know what you need. You need respect. If you feel unacknowledged, then you need to talk about communication. So writing down those feelings can be an important clue to actually what you need to negotiate for. What about having feelings during the negotiation? I have been in this situation before where I was planning this women's event for 20 women. It was going to be this whole trip we went on. There was a partner involved who had offered to give us something for free in exchange for, you know, all this promotion and press around it. And then he wanted to back out the day before the event. And it would have screwed up the whole event for these women to do that. And so I didn't mean to, but on the phone call with him, I started crying and I I played the card where I I didn't play it. I mean, it was natural. I was just like, you're going to ruin this whole event that I've been planning for months with with women. It's all about women moving women forward. And so I don't know if it's the tears or the women card, but he was like, okay, we'll do it. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And so in that way, I actually feel like that was a smart negotiation tactic, but I'm confused now whether I should have feelings or not. So um, you absolutely should have feelings. So here's the thing. I need to first say this. You can't bargain yourself out of your feelings, okay? So feelings just are, they are there. In fact, my mentor always taught me feelings are facts. That doesn't mean they're always true, but it means they are there and you have to come to grips with them. And they're certainly going to be there if somebody tries to go back on their word and practically torpedo an event with 24 hours to go. So I first want to normalize because sometimes as women, you know, we're taught we should bargain ourselves out of our feelings when no, I think anger, right, would be a very appropriate response there. The question is, what do you express in the room? And it's interesting that you went to tears instead of saying, you know, I'm angry that this is happening at this late date. So one thing I would say is that women are often taught that anger is not acceptable. And so sometimes we will cry out of anger or frustration because that feels like a more socially acceptable way to express it. Okay. So the thing is, if you communicate anger that can lead to mixed results in negotiation. So there's research to show that in the right circumstances, anger can produce a short-term concession. So somebody could say, okay, I'm going to do this or I'm going to give you what you want. If you're working together for the longer term, expressing a lot of anger, depending on your power in the room, may lead that person to not want to be in a business relationship with you for the long term. So in general, I would tell people to be tactical about when you deploy anger in negotiation. When in doubt, a good substitute is disappointment. 
expressing disappointment when you feel anger has been shown to lead to better results because then you could say, for example, you know, I'm disappointed on many fronts. I'm disappointed that you made this commitment to not just me, but all of the women who are depending on me months ago. And I'm disappointed that only now with 24 hours left to go and no time left, you are pulling out. I'm also feeling the disappointment of all of those women and how excited they were to hear from you and be part of this event. What are we going to do to make this better, right? Or how can we avoid this happening? So in other words, tactically expressing disappointment may get you to the same place without some of the downsides. Hmm. Okay. And if you do cry... And if you cry, you cry. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so interesting. I think women in the workplace, don't don't we have kind of a code for anybody who's worked in corporate America? I can't remember who it was who told me, but they said, Alex, the rule is only cry in the women's bathroom. And I have to say that working (laughs) in very high pressure, male-dominated environments most of my junior life, there were a couple of close calls. But You know, it's amazing, I think, how often we shame ourselves for our tears. And that is, that's a really, um, you know, sexist assumption that's pushed on us by society. The truth is that tears are perfectly natural and people cry for a variety of reasons, sadness, grief, or frustration or anger. In the moment, you did what was true and the person saw your effort and responded to that and it saved your deal. So you know what, Britt? I would call that a win and move on. Ah, oh, thank you. I feel very validated right now. Just so it's, everyone knows. I like it. And you're feeling, you're feeling validation. All the feelings I feel are so validated. Real. Thank you, Alex. Um, okay, Alex. So you also have a series of questions people need to bring to the negotiation table. What's the most important question for them to ask the other party in a negotiation? So the most important question is the first question in that series. It is what I call two magic words that will change every interaction you have. And here's the trick. It's not really a question. It's a command. It is, tell me. It's interesting because people have different reactions to starting a conversation with tell me. Somebody said to me, you know, isn't that kind of therapisty to start a conversation by saying, Britt, tell me how you see my performance at the company or Ange, tell me, uh, you know, about your service and how it is that we could work together. But the truth is that tell me is the most effective question you can ask on several fronts. First of all, it's the broadest possible question. So when people come in to me for mediation, I don't start by saying, Britt, how much money are you willing to pay? Or Ange, what are your legal claims? I ask them, tell me what's brought you here. Tell me is the most effective persuading question. And it really also gets somebody to open up and trust you. I use it at home with my nine-year-old daughter. I used it with my husband to get the home office. You know, here we are, two working parents and one (laughs) office. And I've even used it, you know, as an entrepreneur. The difference between, Britt, would you like to see my product offerings? That's a yes, no, and Britt's going to say no, versus, Britt, tell me what your company most needs this year. The latter is super persuasive, and that opens you up for us to have a conversation about how I can serve you. 
I have two points of feedback here. First is one of our recent episodes was Teach Me Something New About Therapy with Lori Gottlieb. And she says in her sessions, the number one thing she asks slash commands is tell me more. Because when people start talking, they feel heard. When they feel heard, they feel validated and and they build that trust with you. And so I think it's so fascinating that this is negotiation, it's therapy, it's like human interaction is about getting other people to open up and to talk. And I've always heard the number one thing in sales is to ask the other person their goals they want to accomplish at the start of the meeting And then you fill in the blanks. And so to your point, tell me what you need right now. Tell me how the pandemic has impacted your business and how you might need help is like the most critical thing you could know going into your pitch. 100%. You're basically giving yourself the target to aim at. I worked with a woman who was trying to get her CEO to allow her to work from home. And he was kind of a COVID denier. This was early on. He was like, everybody's got to get back in the office right away. And she asked him a series of tell me questions. Tell me your biggest goals for our company this quarter and beyond. Tell me all of your concerns about us working in the uh, out of the office. And once she knew his goals, she was able to make a proposal that was going to satisfy his goals. And she got the work from home. The fact is the best thing you can do is start with open questions because you build trust and you get that information that's going to help you get what you want. Let's talk about silence and negotiating. How do you use silence to work in your favor? Great question. Silence is so important because let me talk about the absence of silence. Here's what we normally do. I teach people how to ask great questions. And so they do something like this. They'll go in and say, Ange, what do you need to get this done today? Okay, what do you need is a great question. It's an open question, but they're too nervous. So what they say is, what do you need to get this done today? Um, Would $10,000 do it? No, right? You don't know what Ange would have said. She might've said five and you just overpaid. She might've said something totally different like mentoring or vacation days, right? If this were a job negotiation. You know, the other thing is, A lot of times we'll talk to eat up the silence because we think that's how we're going to prove our value. Here's the thing. Asking a great question and shutting up has a few benefits. One, it keeps you from bidding against yourself. It allows you to discipline yourself to stand in your worth and let the other person receive and digest what you have had to say. Second, silence helps people to open up it actually encourages trust. You know, there's research to show that by the end of a conversation, if people feel like you listen to them more than they listen to you, they come out with a really positive impression of the conversation. So even if you're in a job interview, asking questions and allowing there to be silence shows confidence, it builds trust, it encourages the other person to open up, and it keeps you from bidding against yourself. If you see a negotiation is not going your way, what's the one question you recommend asking? How would you steer it back? Four words. What are your concerns? 
You know, so many people come to me because they're really afraid of getting a no. You know, it's almost as though we hold ourselves back from asking because we're shutting ourselves down before we even give anybody else a chance. Here's the thing. You don't need to panic if you get a no. And it certainly doesn't mean that you crawl out of the office on all fours and never raise the topic again. You also don't need to argue. If somebody says, no, I can't give you that raise, simply ask, what are your concerns? And then wait. The great thing about this question is it invites the other person to tell you what's holding up the potential deal. And over time, I've counseled a ton of people who have used this question and they've gotten surprising answers and they figured out, I actually can meet that concern. So more often than not, if you know what the concern is, you can figure out how to turn that no into a yes. I don't know if you want an example, but I published and promoted a book during a pandemic. So I'm kind of an expert on turning no into yes. My entire book tour, I had all of these events where I was going to sell books and they were in-person events. They all canceled. And initially, every single person said, we're not doing the event and we're also not doing virtual so one by one, I called people up and I said, what are your concerns? The first person said, well, we've never done a virtual event before. And frankly, our folks like don't have the bandwidth to figure out the platform. No worries. Would it help if my team did it? Yeah, that would be great. Okay, great. Let's do the event. Second person says, we don't know if our employees would really want a virtual event. And I said, well, how might you find that out? And they said, well, I guess we could survey them. Great. The employees wanted the event. Over and over again, I found that by inviting kind of the boogeyman, by asking people what concerns they have, I ended up being able to do a deal that not only got me what I needed, but genuinely helped me serve them in the process. Mm. I've done that actually recently. We had a podcast guest I reached out to and I was like, hey, will you be on the podcast? And she said, sorry, I just can't right now. Um, and like left it like that. And I was like, oh, wah, wah, wah. But then I was like, well, can you tell me why you won't? I'm just trying to use it for more data so I know how to, you know, potentially get you on down the road or at a different time. And she's like, yes, I'm in the middle of like two launches. My kids are crazy. It's COVID. Da, da, da. And I was like, she was like, I free up in like uh, October, November. And I was like, cool. Like, why don't we just schedule it for like November, December? Like, it's totally fine with me. And she was like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. So I agree with you. I love that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I love that example you gave because you ended up doing her a service too. She, you know, it's not that she didn't want to do the podcast. She just didn't even have the brain space to think about how am I going to schedule it this week? And so you fixed her problem and you fixed yours. Perfect example. Yes. Thank and you. loving all Thank these tie-ins actually to the therapy conversation and even like the meditation, like all of this, there's like an element of self-care and wellness and just listening skills in all of this. Like, tell me, what are your concerns? Here are my feelings. Like this is, I just feel like it's a really refreshing take on what maybe I thought negotiation was. Yeah. Can I share a bit actually about wellness? You know, we're in a pandemic we're in a time when many women are losing their jobs or their companies are folding and their kids are at home schooling and there's so much pressure on them. 
And I have to say that this year for me also has been kind of a wild ride. Do you know the day that my book came out? So it was supposed to be the best day of my life, even in a pandemic. I got a call saying that my dad, who's already in hospice, had been diagnosed with COVID and wasn't expected to make it. And I have to tell you that the thing that got me through that really hard week was leaning into what I call the mirror. It's the questions that you ask yourself. And so I ended up focusing on the last one, which was about taking one step. And I thought, okay, what's one thing I can do today, right, to help myself or to help my dad? And so just doing one thing a day got me out of bed in the morning. And it also gave me a sense of peace at the end of the day. P.S., my dad recovered from COVID against Amazing. all odds. He Yay. Yes. And he's still with us. It was incredible. But I have to say that, you know, ask for more. People look at the title and they think this is about money, right? But it's also about so much more than money. Sometimes it's asking for more peace. It's asking for more compassion towards yourself. And it's asking for a little more clarity on what it is that's going to make you happy. You know, the fact is that learning how to talk to yourself is great for negotiation, and it's also great for helping you figure out the kind of life that you want to live. And that's something a lot of us are doing right now. And in just a few minutes a day with a few great questions, you can start your day from a greater place of clarity and peace. And isn't that what we all need right now? Oh, yes. Amen, sister. Emoji a praise hand. <laughs> a woman, a woman. Alex, before you go, Angie and I have some common negotiation scenarios we want your advice on for both work and home. Okay. So let's start at work. How do you know what number to start at when you're trying to negotiate your salary bump? Okay. So when you are making your ask, instead of a number, I want to give you three words. So research shows that your asks should be optimistic, specific, and justifiable. So what does that mean? It means that you're doing the research. That's the justifiable part. You are looking to not just the websites. Websites are great. Human intelligence is always best for jobs. So I would be asking people tapping your networks. So you want to make sure you can justify it, yeah. go in and state what you're looking for, but make it optimistic. Don't bargain against yourself. Make it the largest number that you can absolutely credibly stand behind. Mm. And any uh, tips on asking for a promotion or negotiating virtually over Zoom? <laughs> Yes. Okay. So first of all, I would try to get on Zoom or a virtual platform where you can see each other. Because remember, you were talking about the therapy conversation and trust. Trust is also, no surprise, foundational to negotiation. You can't get anywhere without it. And the more we see of each other, the more we trust each other. It's been proven, right? If you hear sort of a disembodied voice on the phone, you're thinking, well, what do they really mean? So you want to be able to see that person if at all possible. I would also say to pick your timing. You know, maybe this means you just crushed it on a project, right? And you're going to take that moment to say, 
And by the way, I'm so happy we could do this. And I'd love to set up a time to talk about my next year at the company and beyond, you know? So seizing that moment. Also thinking about a good moment for the company. You know, if they have a better earnings quarter than expected or something like that, timing it there. My last advice for that is how to make your ask. And here's the formula I like to use. It's called the I-we. Here's what I'm asking for, Britt, and here's how we all benefit. I'm asking for this promotion, and I know, Britt, that once I'm in this promotion, I'm going to be able to serve the company in a different way, drive revenue, drive innovation, reduce waste and cost, whatever it might be. I, we. It's incredibly powerful, and it lets Brit know, lets the other person know that you're not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about her and the team as well. I feel like all my employees are going to come to me uh, setting up a virtual Zoom session to talk about the next year <laughs> after they listen that's, to this podcast. very true. <laughs> um, so related to that, many people might be told that they can't get raises right now during the pandemic. What else can they try to negotiate for instead of money? So much. Okay, remember how I was saying that negotiation is not just numbers. It's also about messages. Here's the thing. I would still be in a position where I was negotiating over my career path. I'd be trying to get on your calendar, Ange, to say, you know, let's talk about my development. Where do you see me going? Here are my goals, Ange, for the type of work that I would like to be able to do over this coming year. And when I get this type of experience, I'll be able to serve you better. How might we help me get this experience? So just because you can't negotiate for money does not mean that you need to stagnate on your career progress. Keep yourself visible. Make sure that your boss knows who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going. Because when those raises come back, I want for you to be first in line. There are so many other things you can negotiate too. So sometimes the salary is in one bucket of money, but there could be other buckets. For example, Britt, you could go in and say, I think that I and our entire company could really benefit from more sales training or negotiation training. Tons of people are doing that right now. And when we get this training, here's everything I think we're going to be able to do. You could use this time to get yourself some additional skills. Other things could be work from home arrangements or even thinking about something like deep work. So this is a concept you both have heard of where people need not just small blocks of time to get things done, but those larger blocks of time to do the strategic thinking that moves you and the company forward. It's so hard. It's never been harder during you know, coronavirus to get that time. And some companies are scheduling a meeting-free hour of the day to allow people time to be able to do that kind of work. Oh, I love deep work so much. Uh, don't always get it, but I try. Okay, let's switch to at home. So when it comes to avoiding drama at the family dinner table, specifically, let's say over the holidays, do you recommend setting up rules ahead of time about what topics are off limits? Like, I don't know, politics, religion, et cetera. Yeah, I think, you know, it's always best to be clear ahead of time. Again, I would say, What's the problem you're trying to solve? Like, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the book. Right? Is your goal that over the Thanksgiving table that you're going to be convincing Aunt Hilda and Uncle Bob that your way of thinking is the right way? 
or are you trying to get through the holiday in peace and in one piece, okay? Because your objective is then gonna determine what kind of rules you want to set up. And I feel this question because I actually, I feel like I'm on TV every year talking about this, in part because I come from a purple family. I mean, really split 50-50. We do set ground rules. We stick to the things that we can agree on, like food and college football. Everything else, we just don't discuss. For other folks who do want to discuss it, you know, I go back to open questions. You know, if somebody's talking about their views on healthcare, what are your concerns with this type of plan? You know, the other thing I would say is that I try to use, um, you know, an and in place of a but. Sometimes we'll say, well, I hear what you're saying, but um, I don't agree. I might say something like, I hear that you're concerned about national security, and that's what led me to have this viewpoint. I share that concern, right? So sometimes using a little bit of focusing on what you have in common and the word and instead of but can help you to have a civil conversation and not have anybody throwing mashed potatoes across the table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a purple family too, so I feel ya. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Switching to our families, we're all mothers here. Should we, and obviously I talked a little bit about my negotiating skills with my three and a half year old, should we be negotiating with our children? Any tips for handling things like homework, curfew? I don't have to deal with a curfew yet, but things like that. Oh, you are negotiating. Okay. So, so you're there. Here's the thing. What's remarkable to me is that I found most human beings, whether they are my daughter's age, nine, or whether they are diplomats at the UN, want the same things. They want to feel as though they've been listened to. They want their viewpoints considered. They want some sense of agency over their decisions. And I use exactly the same tools that I do at the UN at home with my nine-year-old daughter. So let me give an example. The, the, the thing that I'm struggling with right now is screen time. My daughter is addicted to this game called Roblox. Here's where all your readers are going to write in and be like, oh God, Roblox, it's a scourge on humanity. And I completely agree. <laughs> it's so easy right now, you know, especially when let's face it, like I'm pretty stressed. I have a lot going on for me to walk into the room, see that she's on the Chromebook and slam it shut and say, we're done. But again, if I spend a minute with myself and say, okay, Alex, what's the problem you're trying to solve here? It leads me to something deeper because it's not just about the screen time. What am I actually trying to do? Do I want her to have more time to read? Do I want her to spend more time outside or more time connecting with me? In my case, it was about reading. And so I didn't go in and slam the Chromebook shut. I went in and said, mom wants to talk to you about reading and how we can have more time for that. And the Chromebook was just part of the discussion rather than being the entire focus. Oh, I, I feel like that. children are born to be great negotiators, maybe because <laughs> <laughs> I've so got true. a four and six year old and it's tough. To, how do you get them to eat vegetables? Can you negotiate that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's been a long negotiation. But one thing I found is that my daughter likes to have a sense of control over her environment. So we started by going to the grocery store and I would say to her, you can pick anyone you want, no matter how crazy and mommy has to eat it. 
And so then it became kind of a fun game where she was like, how can I pick something so crazy? Watch out, mom, it's broccoli. And I was like, no, my God. Right. <laughs> and then and we make a game out of it. The other thing is that I found that if she cooks something, then she's proud to eat it. And so we cook a couple of dinners together um, a week. And once she cooks, she feels that pride of ownership. And so she's going to participate. So some of it is thinking about what does my daughter need? You know, what are her feelings and what are her buttons, right? And then thinking about how can I satisfy that and also then have her eat the vegetables. Well, I think we are all changed women here. So thank you, Alex. Um, We are going to go forth and conquer all of our negotiations uh, and our daily lives, to be honest. I think that's the number one thing I learned is like negotiation happens Every day throughout the day, it's part of the conversation. It's not a negative thing. And the first step is figuring out what you want. So um, thank you for all of the, the tools and tips and resources you've given us today. To dive even deeper into negotiation, make sure to check out Alex's new book, Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything. And where else can we find you, Alex? Sure. You can find me on my website, alexcarterasksasks.com. If you sign up, I give lots of free advice on things I'm seeing and negotiation tips you can use. You can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm basically on Twitter because my publicist says I have to be. So if you want, come find me there. But (laughs) I find Twitter's bad for my mental health. So I try to stay off. Good call. Good call. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. I'm your host, Brit Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit & Co. Special shout out to my co-host, Ange, who you can find on Instagram at Angelica Temple. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Christine Swore and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Aaron Kaufman. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next time.